0: unto himself. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have come together this morning to give thanks for the life of our beloved sister Sadie Crooks, we pray that you would grant to us a real sense of your presence and give help, we pray, to all who will take part in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning everybody and welcome. Most of you will know that Mrs. Sarah Crooks, affectionately known as Sadie, went to be with the Lord on the 30th of December and that a private family burial took place at that time. We have come together to give thanks to God for her life and the large number gathered here today is indicative of the very high regard in which she was held. The family want to thank you for attending today, and they are glad to express their immense gratitude to the members of the Crescent Church for their kind and long-standing support of their mother. In addition, they would wish to record their heartfelt thanks to the staff of Beach Hill Care Home, who for eight years were assiduous, respectful, and affectionate in caring for their mother. It's, of course, impossible to think about Sadie without mentioning her late husband, Jim, with whom, for many years, She faithfully served this congregation, Jim having passed away in November 2013. Both were truly loved by all of us who had the privilege of knowing them. They were a very special couple indeed, and we are the poorer by their passing. You will want me on your behalf to express to the family your condolences, That is to Peter, along with his wife, Olivia, to David, to Danny, Helen, and Jim. Also to Sadie's sister, Ruby, who is with us here today, and her brother, Roy, who sadly was unable to come. Do continue to remember all of them in your prayers. Our thanks, too, to our organist for today, Gareth Lewis to Adam Glass on the sound desk, and to the catering ladies who have prepared refreshments for us following the service. Please do stay for that if you can. You will find both the minor hall and the cafe by using either of the doors behind me. And so to the first hymn on the order of service. This was a particular favourite of Sadie's. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour, up From the grave he arose. Let's stand to sing. Mm Member of our congregation is going to lead us in prayer, and following that uh, David Crooks is going to bring the family tribute. Hugh.
1: Could we just now uh, lift our hearts in prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence aware of the eternal debt we owe to your Son, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that through him and only through him do we enjoy access to you. We are gathered, dear Father, here in thanksgiving for the life of our sister, Mrs. Sadie Crooks. We thank you for the testimony she bore in her walk with you, We thank you for her faithfulness to you in her family life, in her church life, and in her life among her friends and acquaintances. We thank you for her joy in you, her trust in you, her hope in you. She fought the good fight. She finished the race well. She kept the faith you Father held her right hand you led her with your counsel and now you have received her to glory now she beholds your face in righteousness now she bears your image we pray today dear Father for Helen, for David, for Danny for Jim And for Peter and Olivia and the family circle. We commit them to you. You bless them with a good mother, godly parents, and a happy home. May they be comforted in the knowledge that their mother is even now experiencing and enjoying a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. May they remember that you are not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You were the God of her life. You were the God of her salvation. You, Father, were the God of her redemption. You were the God of her praise. May we also all know you, Father, and follow you and serve you as the God of our lives as we recall today one whose passing was precious in your sight. Amen.
2: Hello everyone and welcome. May the Lord bless you all for coming. Our mother was a Christian lady of fierce intelligence gentle nature and robust character she was warm and welcoming and sensitive to others she put people at ease so that they opened up to her along with a love of music, literature and writing she manifested a strong interest in the mysterious the weird and the grotesque. This interest helped her to cope with her five children. (laughs) Mother loved drama, and she disliked ordinary, everyday normality. She would therefore be appalled if I were to afflict you with a drab collection of conventional pieties. So here goes. Early in 1985, A high-powered envoy came from Dublin to Belfast bearing a document which it was hoped would be signed by Ian Paisley and Cathal Daly. The envoy was a prominent occultist, a goddaughter of the Queen Mother, how's that, and a personal friend of Charles Hockey. I was asked to handle the arrangements for her visit. In between meetings, I brought the envoy home for coffee. My parents received her with perfect courtesy, but when she began to boast in a diffuse how clever we are' manner about the true intent of her senders, Mother floored her with a ruthlessly direct question. Two women regarded each other acutely across our drawing room fireplace. The one on my right appeared to radiate a powerful gravity. The one on my left, the envoy, had become a prick balloon of egotistical gas. Mother was intimidated by no one, even if they bore titles. And she was not intimidated in the presence of serious physical danger. One day she came home from work with her eyes shining. What happened? I asked. It transpired that she and her colleagues had been held up by gunmen in their office. A senior clerk decided that he would engage in actorial heroics, and he started to shout that he worked for the government. Mother told him robustly to be quiet. And the younger gunman, whose hand was shaking, said, Do what the woman tells you. After that, everyone sat in silence. Mother picked up her pen and got on with her work. Or so it seemed. Actually, she was drawing a picture of the gunman's pistol. One hour later, she horrified a police inspector by presenting him with this picture. That is a police gun, he said. I asked mother if she had been distressed by the experience. Not at all, she said. It was a bit of excitement. In diverse manners, mother and father prepared their children to lead lives of adventure. There was a healthy diversity even about their marriage. Now, they agreed about many things. Each of them had a warm regard for James Callaghan and a cordial loathing for his successor. Each of them gave substantial financial support to Boyd Black when he stood in the Fulham by-election. But in general, if father was a little left of centre, mother was a little left of right. She told father off severely one day for sending money to Greenpeace. Father loved the vegetable creation and the animal creation equally, but being the chief gardener of the household, Mother esteemed the former above the latter, although she could be very tender in looking after a litter of newborn mice. And now, a solemn piece of information. The urine of the tomcat, you mature people, is very bad for garden plants, so Mother worked hard to make our garden a cat-free zone. She was therefore incensed one Saturday morning when she came home from town to find father sitting by the front row's bed and singing an operatic area to a fascinated pair of local cats. From the bottom of the drive she exclaimed, whatever are you doing dear? That at any rate was the gist of her remarks. The garden was a theatre for mother's jestful character. It was all of a piece with her supportive role of wife and mother. She acted as father's accompanist when he was preparing to perform and broadcast as a singer. When he began to restore reed organs at home, she allowed him to have up to six organs in the house, and she was the first tester of every restored instrument, sometimes before the keyboard was put on and she played on the lollipop sticks. She supported us children in our music and in our schoolwork. She devoured one of my French A-level literature texts and she studied the only British insectivorous plant at the microscope for up to eight hours every day. In this activity, it entranced her To behold, newborn, unmated green flies, bringing forth offspring by virgin birth. Such an observation may help a Christian to believe the creed. Mother's interests included theology and science. She wrestled fearlessly with books like Honest to God and The Sacred Mushroom as soon as they were published. Now, as a schoolgirl, after winning a major essay competition, mother composed a short novel entitled Scorned Unto Death. We ribbed her for decades about that title. She read the Bible for up to an hour every day. She also read Camus and Sartre. Both of our parents were intrepid about reading. During his war years, father fed on Omar Khayyam. No fear. Late in life, He absorbed with approval a magisterial essay by Nabokov, No Fear. In his own book, Against Determinism, published by Ritchies, he quoted Nietzsche, No Fear. And during the late 1960s, Muller fed on the French existentialists, No Fear. She loved the Bible. She relished the difficult bits. She researched other faiths. And once wrote a profound analysis of the Book of Mormon, which horrified the two young elders who came for their second visit. No fear. She and father once stayed for a night in the Las Vegas casino. No fear. She and father attended the first ever presentation of Scientology in Belfast, walked out in the middle and came home shaking with laughter. No fear. And when she was in her 80s, Mother went on a Sinn Fein taxi tour. No fear. Not long before, in Hollywood, California, Mother ranged widely abroad and was returned to Peter and Olivia in a car by two strangers. No fear. The illness which encompassed the last decade of her life afflicted her with confusion, delusion, and horror. Yet, only eight months before she left our family home for the last time, she was playing the piano in carried off Gospel Hall. No fear. Before then, during her 80s, she corresponded with Boris Johnson when he was editor at The Spectator. She corresponded with John Cole, the BBC political correspondent, who had been her exact contemporary at school. After watching the film Shadowlands, she tracked down a stepson of C.S. Lewis called Douglas Gresham, phoned him up, talked to him for 20 minutes, and asked him whether Anthony Hopkins had authentically represented the character of C.S. Lewis. No, 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 Gresham replied. He wasn't like that at all. He was a Serbic. I was delighted to learn this fact. When mother adjudged that we children had attained a sufficient level of maturity, it was always hard to be sure, she sat a competitive examination for the civil service and took up a post in the Northern Ireland office. Then came the Grove Housing Association and finally co-ownership in Murray Street. Here she made her greatest ever friends, passed the happiest 14 years of her life, and met interesting people like Frankie Miller and Chris Patton, as he then was. I could tell you one horrendous anecdote involving Chris Patton, but I must not. It delighted Mother to entertain her colleagues at home. Hospitality was in her nature. I recall Father's City Hall days when he invited his colleagues and their partners more than once for a full Christmas dinner. I could show you a photograph of nearly 30 people sitting around the huge composite table in our dining room. After dinner there would be a light-hearted quiz in the drawing-room. I remember with joy the shouts of laughter, the multitude in his ashtrays and the great pall of cigarette smoke. Different times but they were good times. Mother's creation of these almost seniorial events represented her total support of father. The undemonstrative goodness of her character blazed forth to such an extent that before she retired, she was asked to go forward for training as a justice of the peace. She declined. Although she feared no one, mother was diffident about putting herself forward for anything. Proof of the fact that that her nature was selfless quiet and modest is the fact that much of what I have said today has profoundly surprised many of those who knew her well. Is that not true? The biggest thing in mother's life was her faith. She and father brought up their children to fear the Lord, to love the Lord and actually to like the Lord in the certainty that he liked each one of us. Our parents were 100% straight down the line in matters like chastity and abstemiousness. But in most other areas, they were shockingly liberal. I would never allow any son of mine, if I had one, to lie in bed till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They taught us by example to regard certain practices with contempt, cutting an ethical corner, For the sake of a so-called career, for example, or keeping quiet about corruption so as not to distress the great and the good. During the last eight years of her life, which by God's mercy she was allowed to spend in Beech Hill Care Home, Muller displayed the character of a real battle-hardened soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was faithfully supported in this by the prayers and the visits of her church family. She never complained. She was always genial. And she wanted her mind and soul to be fed. Not long ago, day by day, I read her all 10,000 lines of Paradise Lost. Then, for a bit of opposition, I read her the whole of l'Etranger in French, and English. Most important, every day I read her six passages of scripture. If you ask, was your mother ready to go when her time came? I should reply in three syllables, yes, yes, yes. Mother's death was in reality a joyful and triumphant crossover. It lasted, as I may so say, for five hours. Peter and I were privileged to witness it almost as participants. Now we five children do not see the point of mother's last eight to ten years. We do know that they had a point, and I am certain that mother apprehended that point well before she died. I shall not be surprised when I stand on the Golden Shore to hear Mother tell me that because of her Saviour's presence what we saw as her decade of affliction really constituted her last great adventure on earth. Peter will now bring you a wordless but more eloquent tribute by playing the intermezzo from Rustic Chivalry. He hadn't been playing the violin for all that long when Mother, at the beginning of a summer holiday, challenged him to learn the piece. He took up the challenge. She and Mother often played this piece when we had visitors. Dr. Gareth Lewis will accompany Peter today. I have done. Thank you all for your patience.
0: Thank you, Peter, for that. Thank you, David. Thank you, Hugh. We now join in singing the second hymn on the sheet. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Standing again, please, to sing. The scripture reading is by Sadie's nephew, uh, Alistair Purdy, uh, who's going to come up in a moment. And following that, Danny will bring us a message from the scriptures. First of all,
3: Alistair, thank you. These verses from Paul's second letter to Corinthians chapters 3 and 4 are ones that were often read to Sadie throughout her long illness. They were a great source of comfort to her, and indeed to the family as well. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we do not lose heart.
4: Again, can I say on behalf of the family how much we really appreciate your presence here with us this morning, but also for your kindness, the kindness that you showed to my mum, even when she still came to the church where she was beginning to lose her memory, she, in fact, and sometimes she said, this is a lovely church. I'd love to join this. But that was just a mark of your kindness to her. I was reading recently About that famous lady in the Old Testament who shared my mother's name, Sarah. Sarah in the Bible was the wife of Abraham. And one little detail which the book of Genesis gives us about that Sarah is that she was rather good looking. Sometimes a surprising detail to find in the Bible. But that caused me to look up one or two photographs of my mother and father's wedding. This is my mum on her wedding day. Uh, I think only Ruby here would remember mum at this stage. She was only 20 years old when she got married in 1948. 20 nowadays seems very young to get married, but my mum didn't hang around. Once she knew what she wanted, she tackled it with an innocent intensity. Uh, When it comes to marriage, that sense of urgency wasn't passed on to all her children. (laughs) My father was a very willing collaborator in this arrangement. And uh, this photograph shows them both together. This was before the modern trend to smile when your photograph (laughs) is being taken. But my parents were immensely happy together from the very first day they met. My parents grew old gracefully and happily. And some of their richest years were together later in life. And just to show they can smile, uh, we see them here. People can mature and age gracefully. As they get older, they develop a different kind of beauty, a beauty in their character, a beauty in their spirit. The Bible speaks about that change from outward beauty to inward beauty when Peter says this uh, to Christian woman. He says, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. And he goes on to say, like Sarah. But it is sometimes a sad fact of human experience that even after a stage like this, there can come challenging times when we become old. And it's particularly the case when someone begins to lose their memory, when they suffer from dementia, and when their inner personality is harder to discern. The glory of who they are seems to become more distant. Fortunately, my mother was always and always remained true to her her nature, even when she could not communicate. We know that some families are not so fortunate, and that must be a particularly hard burden to bear. But the Bible does not romanticize old age. And it is very direct in acknowledging the fading of the body and even of the mind. The Bible says, picture your life as a flower. There is a time for a flower to be beautiful. There is a time when its glory is apparent to everybody. But there comes a time when that beauty fades. The earthly brother of the Lord Jesus, called James, wrote this. He says, they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. That has been the sad experience of people across the world in every age and in every culture. And if we judge a person's worth by their outward glory, by who they are, as measured by their mind and personality and body, then old age and dementia is desperately sad. If a human being consists only of their body and their mind, if that is all we are, then watching old age in those that we love must be utterly depressing. We are constantly taught through the media and even in education that there is nothing beyond physical life. We are just a very lucky collection of chemicals, and when our body and mind stop functioning, then there is nothing of us left. We are gone. We are worth no more than the chemicals which remain. That is a brutal ideology, particularly for those watching their loved ones in the frailty of old age. I have a number of friends who maybe profess to believe that there is no God, that we have simply arrived on earth through a process of evolution, and when we die, that is the end of us. Nothing exists of us after death. And yet I've watched some of those people care for their aged relative suffering from dementia, and you could not see a greater devotion and loyalty even when their relative no longer recognises them or even doesn't seem to care about them. Maybe that my friends are partly motivated by gratitude for the past or a sense of family loyalty. But I sense that even an atheist rebels against the idea that our loved ones are simply an increasingly confused collection of chemicals. Even though it's inconsistent with what they say they believe, they rebel against the evolutionary doctrine that says that a person's value is based solely on their functionality and capability. And if a person becomes incapable, even of the most basic function of memory, then the ideology tells us that person is worth practically nothing. Many good people, whatever they believe, rebel against that view. And yet, You can't have it both ways. The implications of atheism are brutal and cruel, but they are unavoidable. They follow inexecuably from believing there is no God. There is no God who made us for a purpose. But what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian and to have the revelation of the truth from God himself through Jesus Christ. Not simply... A nice thought to help us through difficult times, but the real truth, the truth about what a human being really is, the truth about why we have value, even in the weakness and confusion of old age. The truth is that God made us. He made us in some ways like God himself in his image. He made us so that we could come to have eternal life, that through knowing Jesus, we could have the very life of God within us, a life which will outlive our earthly bodies and minds, a life that we will continue to live in heaven. The Bible reveals to us the truth of old age. For a Christian, there is real hope in suffering, even in old age. There is hope for those who have to watch a believer going through that process. All the frustrations, all the pains, even the indignity and the shame, these all have a purpose in God's hands. The reason is that a Christian has something which is unseen but which is treasure in jars of clay, something which science cannot measure. Christians have eternal life. Even now, that life is growing and is making us more and more fit for glory in heaven. Alistair read us, that glorious verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. I hesitate to use an illustration of what this verse is saying because I haven't yet found the illustration in the Bible, but it is found in nature, so I believe God intended it. Some of you will be familiar with the amazing process by which a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Now, I dare say a caterpillar has an interesting enough life consisting mostly of eating. But when the caterpillar is old, it enters a state of helplessness when it looks as good as dead. It's called a chrysalis. It is the same person, if I could use that term of a caterpillar. It looks from the outside as though nothing is happening inside, but the opposite is the case. There is a huge amount of furious activity going on inside the chrysalis as a caterpillar is being prepared for a totally new life which it could never have imagined. Imagine having all the glory of a multicoloured butterfly, far more beautiful than the best-looking caterpillar. Imagine being able to fly, Imagine being able to live in a three-dimensional world instead of being tied to the two dimensions of a caterpillar's life. Imagine being able to explore a much bigger world you never even knew existed. Imagine being important and useful to plants by pollinating them rather than merely eating them and destroying them. As I watched my mother becoming less and less capable in the last few years of her life, I did often wonder, What's going on inside her, inside her soul? Is anything happening? What is the purpose of such a long, drawn-out time, which on the outside doesn't seem to be achieving anything? But that verse which Alistair read explains to us the immense and intense work which is going on inside a person's soul, a believer's soul, even if on the outside they just seem to be wasting away. And that verse, as Alistair read read to us, it explains to us uh, that even in our minds, even when our outward body and our minds start to waste away, there is huge activity going on to prepare us for glory with Christ. And when we die, a believer goes to be with Christ in paradise. We will be ushered into a whole new world. More than that, God will have has a new glory to give us, a new glory of our own. We will have new capabilities to explore that world. We will be able to appreciate and to enjoy the Lord Jesus, what he is doing now, all his plans for the future, in ways which this life has only hinted at. This life is only temporary. Our enjoyment of life, our careers, our families, our education, our hobbies, these are all only temporary. But the eternal things, which are real life, these are permanent. One thing my mother's illness has taught me is the importance of focusing on things that are eternal rather than dwelling on the at times depressing aspects of this temporary life. Those of us who are believers have real revealed truth to assure us of the reality of those things. If someone is not a believer then the good news is that the Lord Jesus came to give us that life. And I pray that all of us will be able to focus more on the eternal, unseen things of uh, this creation and the next creation, those things that are permanent and eternal.
0: Thank you, Danny, and thank you, Alistair. We conclude our service by singing the third and final hymn on the sheet. And after we sing this hymn, Richard Cullen is going to come up and lead us in our closing prayer. Can I say that it was Richard's home group that Sadie attended while she was able, and she enjoyed very much the fellowship that she received at that group. So after the hymn, Richard's going to come up and pray. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Let's stand to sing.
5: join together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come into your presence in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your gift of salvation and for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And it is on this sure foundation that we bring the Crooks family to you today as they readjust to life without their dear mother. We know you are the God of all comfort and the God of all peace. And so we would ask that you would be their strength in this time of loss, their hope in this time of bereavement and their joy in this time of sorrow. We thank you that the sting of death has been broken and we do not mourn as those who have no hope because our Lord Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection has broken the power of sin and death for all who trust in him. Heavenly Father, for those here today who do not share this hope, we would ask that they would consider your great love and gift of salvation and will come to accept you as their personal saviour. We thank you for the life of Mrs. Sadie Crooks, for her warm and generous spirit, and for her faithful service to you, both within her family and our church family here at Crescent. However, we are mindful of the latter difficult years of her life, where she lived out the truth that your grace is all sufficient. And once again, we ask that you will bring comfort to David, Peter and Olivia, Danny, Helen and Jim, and to the wider family circle, who will feel the greatest loss in the days and weeks that lie ahead. And though we are separated for a time, we rejoice that one day we will stand together in your presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We look forward to that day when you will wipe away all tear from our eyes and where there will be no more mourning or pain. We commit each one here today into your care and keeping, giving thanks in the name of your worthy and precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.